When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With so much information about you floating online, there's a clear picture of what your digital identity looks like, whether you want to or not. Here's why it matters. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me is CNET security and privacy reporter Bree Fowler, who has a lead-off story for our new CNET series, Citizen Now. Welcome, Bree. Thanks for having me. So this package really looks at the sort of the various issues around us and, and sort of how to make better informed decisions. And, and your story talks about the idea of a digital footprint. It's just uh, kind of break things down for us. Like what, what exactly does that mean? Well, you know, it just looks at how much information is out there about the average person. You know, a lot of people make an effort to stay off of, you know, obvious uh, sites and things that collect your information, things like social media. But, you know, whether you like it or not, a lot of your personal information is now online, um, you know, e- even if you're not the kind of person who shares a lot about themselves. Yeah, that I think that's uh, that's a key thing. It's, there's a lot of information that you're just kind of not aware of. I mean, if you can give us some context, like what kind of information actually feeds into that digital identity? Well, you know, there are sites that collect your information, um, you know, obviously social, things like that. But, you know, every time you do something online, um, buy something, use a credit card, uh, apply for, you know, um, credit, you know, all of these things are there. But also, you know, there's there's these data mining companies that are collecting that information and then cross-referencing that with things, uh, more traditional kinds of public information, like employment records and housing and voter registration rolls, which, you know, just about everybody's name, address, phone number, uh, emails, things like that, those are already there. And when they can use all of that information, plus all the extra stuff that's out there, they know a heck of a lot about you. And they can sell that to parties and, you know, basically spread that around. And it's it's completely legal. Yeah, that, that's I think the thing that surprises a lot of folks is uh, all of this information is out there. All that can be mined and can be sold. I'm, I'm curious, like, what exactly – how is this information being used? Like, why – why is it valuable? Why are companies or political parties, why, why are they so willing to pay for this information? Well, advertising only works if you're giving it to people that might actually respond to it. Um, the more a company knows about you, the more it can target its pitch, the more it can you know, walk away if it doesn't think that you're interested. The, basically, you know, the more that they know about everybody, the, the better chance they have of spreading their message, whether it's, you know, trying to get you to buy a certain kind of laundry detergent or, you know, whether it's to get you to, to vote a certain way. It really doesn't matter. And that's I mean, that, that's sort of the key thing. And, and one of the points that I sort of looked at from your story is that uh, this this trend sort of accelerated with COVID, right? Like what what happened 
during the last two years? Well, everything basically moved online. Things that you would have done in person, uh, like work, school, shopping, that all became an online activity. You know, we, we really didn't have any choice. Um, people, you know, you look at Amazon sales over the last couple of years. All of that is recorded and analyzed, you know, whether, whether you're buying from Amazon or a major store or, you know, even just, you know, using your credit card at a mom and pop shop, you know, those, those transactions are recorded too. Things like school, um, you know, a lot of information about our kids is online that, that wasn't before from their grades to test scores to, you know, uh, what, what they're doing online as well. You know, I think about, uh, my kid uses an online library for reading practice. Um, all of that's recorded as well. And, you know, privacy policies really don't tell you a lot about where that information is going sometimes. Yeah, that that's a key point. I'm, I'm curious what readers or our listeners should know about when it comes to your digital identity and I guess how to take some control over this. Because it feels like a lot of this is out of our control. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a two-pronged monster here. Um, you've got the data mining and the privacy aspects and the fact that, you know, corporate America or organizations, they know a lot about us that they didn't 10 years ago. And, you know, that that's disconcerting for a lot of people. But then there's also the security implications of, you know, once you have all of that information online, you know, obviously you have to worry about things like your social security number, credit history, stuff like that. But, um, you know, addresses, phone numbers, mother's maiden name, you know, these are the kind of little bits and pieces that cyber criminals can use to, you know, steal information. And, you know, when companies are collecting information and holding it in databases, that means that that data could potentially be stolen in a data breach. And so you have to worry about that kind of threat as well. Yeah, and we're hearing about these data breaches all the time. I mean, should we be panicking right now? Well, you know, panicking for anything really doesn't help. There there are common sense steps that you can take to protect yourself, to lock down your information. I mean, the first thing is to be wary about who you're giving those big pieces of information to. Uh, A lot of times it's just not necessary. And consumers need to know that they can say no a lot of the time. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, uh, and I think one that gets missed a couple times, a lot of times, is that yes, you can you can say no to things, um, and likewise, as I said before, with COVID, more of our information got online. In terms of the kind of scams and, and the the number of crimes that took advantage of our data, that that got worse under COVID, right? Definitely, identity theft uh, just totally shot up over the last couple of years because. There was so much online. There was so much opportunity. I mean, things like unemployment fraud, you know, people filing unemployment claims in other people's names. Uh, that just really didn't exist before because there wasn't an incentive to take advantage of that. But with so many people filing legitimate claims with the government, you know, giving supplemental benefits and, and help to people who needed it. Um, it, it made it such a tempting target. But the sad thing is, is that a lot of people who needed those benefits, who needed stimulus checks, who needed unemployment, they weren't getting that because of fraud. 
Yeah, and uh, want to switch gears to another area, which is biometrics, uh, facial recognition, fingerprint sensors. We talk about sort of all the information that feeds into our digital identity. Well, our face and our fingerprints are also in there, uh, and which has spurred a debate about that, given how this information can get out. I mean, what are people saying about biometrics? Well, biometrics, a lot of people see it from a security standpoint as a possible solution that, you know, things like your fingerprint and your face, they are unique to you. And unlike, you know, my key card that I use to get into the office, I, I'm not going to leave it at home, um, you know, sitting on my desk and then run into issues. Um, these are things from a security standpoint, people are very supportive of assuming that these solutions are things that people opt into and that their information is being used with consent. But the problem is, is that you can't change your face. You can't change your fingerprints. And if that information gets stolen, then, you know, what, what do you do? Um, you know, and also a lot of, you know, people are starting to collect people. I mean, companies are starting to collect biometric data for their own purposes. I mean, you look at the, cl- the case of Clearview AI. Um, this company has tried to create the world's largest collection of faces, and they've done that by scraping data from, from social media sites mainly. But the problem is this data was taken without the consent of the people who those faces belong to. And, you know, a lot of privacy advocates have a problem with that because, you know, the data is being sold to law enforcement, to private companies, um, and there's really no checks and balances on how it's used. Yeah, and that brings to the point about government regulations. Like what, what or if... Is the government doing anything about this? Well, there has been legislation floated around in Congress, but, you know, in a in a totally partisan environment these days, uh, the odds of something like that getting through on the federal level and, and having it be quality legislation, it, the odds are pretty slim. I mean, they were able to do this in Europe with GDPR, yeah. pass some kind of regulations on privacy. That's really tough in the United States. Um but at the state level, there are laws out there that that do put limits on data collection, um, data retention, and then you know where that data can be shared. Um, you know, some state laws are better than others, and states themselves have a hard time getting that legislation through and then enforcing it once they do. Got it. Uh, your story led with a conversation that you had with someone who essentially erased himself from the internet. Someone's interested in doing something like that. How would they go about it? Well, there are a handful of companies out there that are, you know, kind of pushing this kind of service. Uh, Basically, what they do is they go to those data miners that are collecting information and they advocate on your behalf to have you taken out of those databases. Now, the major data miners are actually pretty good about taking out data when you ask them to. And and you can do this as a consumer yourself, too. It's just a heck of a lot of work when you don't have those contacts. But the smaller, possibly shadier companies, you know, that's that's hard um, because they they generally don't care. (laughs) And a lot of them are offshore anyway. But, um, 
even when you, uh, you know, these companies do what you ask them to, uh, you know, the company that I talk to that that does this on behalf of consumers, they they refer to it as an ongoing game of whack-a-mole because <laughs> data is constantly being leaked. It's constantly being collected. It's constantly being re-added back to databases. This isn't a one and done thing. Uh, which is why these are paid subscriptions that, you know, <laughs> you just keep paying for them because they have to keep working at keeping your information off the Internet. It's not like you can just, you know, clean your house once and have it be over with. It, it's an ongoing thing. And you as a consumer have to do your part to, you know, keep your information from getting out there as well. All right. Well, Bree, thank you for your time. It's a good reminder that you're right. Uh, house cleaning doesn't happen just once. You've, it's a, it's constant maintenance that's required. Uh, for all this information, you can check out our store on cnet.com and stick around all week for our Citizen Now series where we talk about everything from digital activism to fighting misinformation. If you have any questions about these stories, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.